It's great being here. Uh, thank you for the worship time. It's nice to worship with uh, this auditorium uh, and your, your singing. It's very comforting. Well, I've been here in the country, my wife and I, about f- for about five years. Um, and it's interesting going to new cultures and living in new cultures. Um, you, you learn things that you didn't know, and um, sometimes you think you know more than you really do. Uh, and so that was kind of our case. And when we moved here, um, we were, thought we were not going to have a vehicle at all. And then about two months into our time here, uh, some missionaries in uh, Cebu that teach at our school decided to retire. And so we got their old vehicle. So we hadn't paid attention. I hadn't paid a lot of attention. We were uh, going around in taxis and, uh, and walking uh, a lot. And I hadn't paid attention to a lot of the the way that the traffic control people direct traffic. Uh, now, I, I knew that somehow, um, and I've never figured out totally how, that, that the Filipinos believe uh, that Americans call dogs uh, by this way, and so it's insulting to you. Uh, it's confusing to us as Americans because we call everybody <laughs> this way, and dogs are kind of like, uh, uh, like this. Uh, and so if we really want something secret or private or intimate it's kind of like this uh, and and so it's very confusing but so i was driving and we came up to a stop there's a traffic control uh, guard and i was first in line um, which was kind of sad because i wished i had been able to go but i was stopped and all of a sudden uh, the traffic stopped the other directions and he started going like this now in the united states uh, when you're going like this, it means be careful, watch out, there's something coming and something happening. So immediately I'm looking in my rearview mirror going, I can't back up, there are vehicles behind me, what am I going to do? And he kept getting more violent. Now the other thing that popped into my mind was that um, in American football, if you're a quarterback and uh, a receiver is running a pattern and he's cutting across and you have decided that he can be open if he goes deep. You kind of go like this, which means to go deep, but it's still backwards. And so I'm very confused. The people behind me are starting to honk their horns. And fortunately, there was a car next to me that decided to leave. And all of a sudden, the traffic controller looked at me and kind of went like this with kind of a disgusted look. I go, oh, I'm supposed to go forward, of course. And so I learned uh, that way um, that there's a little cultural difference in how you tell people to go. Uh, And so it was interesting learning for me. I think we all have these cultural experiences that we go into. As we've gotten into the Philippines, we understand more about the Philippines. We start seeing just the differences you have in a small country with 7,000 islands uh, in communicating with each other. Um, My understanding is there's like 9 to 15 different languages. Uh, At our school, uh, we draw from the the Visayas, and they speak three different languages when they come to the school. English kind of becomes the neutral uh, language. Uh, We've also learned when we first came here, some people said, are you going to learn Tagalog? And I go, I'm moving to Cebu. No, I'm not going to learn Tagalog. We're going to learn Cebuano if we learn anything. Um, And then we start hearing the rivalries that are going on. Like in some of our Cebuano friends say that if a Tagalog speaker comes down and would speak to them in Tagalog, 
they will not answer them in Tagalog, even though they know Tagalog. They'll either answer them in Cebuano or they'll answer them in English. And so English becomes kind of the, the peace language among everybody. Uh, you have 140, 150 dialects. And so even as the, our students talk to each other, they have a hard time understanding each other. And as we talk to them more um, about their, their life and getting along together, we've, we have found that even that some of the languages will use the same words, or some of the dialects will use the same words, but they have very different meanings. Uh, and sometimes the meanings are insults uh, and, or are words that you shouldn't use as Christians. And I kind of sit and I go, so why? Why would they do that? Uh, and, and then also wondering, how can you as a country ever become united when you speak so many different languages? Well, today we're going to look at a passage uh, that, and explore it a little bit that kind of tells us how we got to this place, uh, how we got to a point where we speak so many different languages uh, around the world, so many different dialects around the world, and it makes it really hard to communicate. And so you've just read this passage. If you have a Bible, turn to um, Genesis 11. <laughs> I'm going to be reading out of the New English Translation because uh, it uh, uses some words that I think are easier to uh, understand in some ways uh, and a little more not really literal, but I think it helps us understand this. And I kind of see these, uh, these verses, uh, the nine verses, first nine verses, as kind of a two-act play. And so this is the first act. So uh, follow through with me as we read uh, verses 1 to 4 of Genesis 11. It said, The whole earth had a common language and a common vocabulary. When the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. Uh, they, then they said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered across the face of the entire earth. So let's try and set what is going on here becomes kind of the first question uh, that we should ask as we look at this passage. Well, first of all, if you remember, I think you're going through a series on Genesis. Uh, in Genesis 9, the flood has just ended, uh, and Noah and his descendants have, and his family have left the ark, and God tells them this. Uh, he says, I want you to, uh, to go, and uh, he blesses them and says, now be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So they now have one family, and they are to go, and they are to fill the entire earth. Instead, the people wander to the east, and they get to this really nice valley, the Valley of Shinar. Uh, it's really the, uh, the, the place where a lot of civilizations arise. It's where Iraq is now. It's where Babylon was built. Uh, if you think of the, uh, the Assyrians, they were from that, that area. The, the um, uh, Mesopotamian people were all from that area. Uh, and so it was a very fertile valley, and they saw it, and they go, let's just settle here. Now, their command was to scatter, and their command was to be fruitful and fill the entire earth. Instead, they decide, oh, let's just stay. Uh, and so they do. Uh, and so that becomes the problem that we're, we're looking at. 
The second thing is they build a tower. Now, we make so much of this, and most of the Bibles, if you have headings, it will say the Tower of Babel. Uh, but the tower doesn't really show up much in, this, in these verses. Uh, it's only mentioned once, uh, and it's kind of mentioned they, they're building a city, and the city is going to have this tower. Uh, and so it's not that the tower was wrong, it was just a part of the city that they never should have been in in the first place. Uh, they weren't to settle, they weren't supposed to build a city that all of them would live in. Some of them, because they're supposed to fill the earth, and so that means as they would travel, some would stay someplace and some would stay someplace else, but all of them weren't to stay in the same place. And so that's one reason, one of the issues that is, is going on here. So why is this a problem? Uh, well, number one, obviously it's a problem because they had decided that God wasn't wise enough, that God didn't know what he was doing, and that they knew better. And so there's some pride involved. Obviously, there was disobedience, they were told to go, but there's also a fear, and it's an interesting fear. I, I think we live in a country, uh, the United States is the same way, where there's, we have so many fears, and everything that comes in, we get more and more afraid, and the, uh, the stress levels are up, uh, and that was kind of the problem with these people. They're going, you know, we're together now, we're not a big people yet, um, maybe we should settle in this city and I don't know what they were thinking. Some could think, well, if we get bigger, then maybe we can move to someplace else. But if we scatter now, there's only going to be a few of us, and there could be dangers. We're not sure what is out there. It's an unknown that we're going into, and maybe we should just stay here. And so they're motivated by fear. Um, but also the bigger problem is they become motivated by pride. <laughs> uh, they want to make this big city. Uh, and they want to make a name for themselves. Uh, so they build the city so that anyone coming around after them, so that people can look and see and go, oh, what a wonderful place. They have this huge town. Now, uh, I come from the city of Chicago. Uh, we're going to show a, a, a picture uh, of the Chicago skyline. Uh, Chicago is on a lake. Uh, back in 1872, the city of Chicago had a fire and the entire city burned down. And so it became a place where architects would come and say, let's design buildings. And so they did. They were very creative. They designed all kinds of buildings, and that's true until today. Uh, in 1970, the tallest building you will see on your left uh, was built by the Sears Corporation, uh, and it's called the Sears Tower. And at the time, it was a large, the tallest building in the world. It's about 110 stories high, and then there's towers on top of it. Uh, at about floor 100, I think 102, there's an observation deck that you can go and you can see. Uh, well, the Sears uh, Tower, the Sears Corporation started going out of business, and they decided they needed to sell the tower. And so for a few years ago, a few years ago, they sold the tower. But in doing so, they sold the naming rights. Now, someone decided, uh, uh, a financial holding corporation decided, we want the naming rights. They bought the, tire, the, the, uh, the tower. And then they bought the naming rights, and essentially they paid a million dollars a year just to put their, their name on the building. So it's no longer the Sears Tower, it's now the Willis Tower. Now, the irony of that is that nobody in Chicago calls it the Willis Tower. It, it officially shows up on some of the maps, uh, but if a visitor would come to Chicago and say, where's the, the Willis Tower, they'd go, I have no idea, I don't know where it is. Uh, oh, you mean the Sears Tower, then that's where it is. 
uh, but they paid a million dollars. Now, we, we understand that that was a, a bargain because uh, it should have cost them three to five million dollars, and this is per year that they're paying just to have their name on a huge tower. Well, I think this is what's going on in, in Babel at this point. This is what's going on in this city. They decide, let's just build something so big that future generations, future, future people, as maybe we scatter and maybe we don't, we can look at this with pride and, and see the name that we have created for ourselves. And as a part of that, it's going to be a big, beautiful city, and it's going to be this big tower. Now, th through this passage, if you read carefully, there's just a lot of humor uh, the, the word Babel or Babylon now uh, that the tower would have been named after uh, literally means, Babylon means the, the gate of the gods. Uh, and so it's a rather pretentious, arrogant name. Uh, but instead, they're known now as the Tower of Babel, which literally means confusion. Uh, that is, you speak, you babble, you don't, you're not understood um, and so the humor of the, the writer here is that they created this thing to be the gate of the gods, but instead it's confused language. Uh, and so there's a lot of sarcasm throughout this passage as we go through. So that is Act 1. So let's look at Act 2. So in verse 5 it says this, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people had started building. And the Lord said, If one people all sharing a common language uh, they have begun to do this and nothing they plan to do will be beyond them come let's go down and confuse their language so that they won't be able to understand any, each other so the lord scattered them from the there across the face of the entire earth and they stopped building the city that is why its name is called babel because the lord uh, confused the language of the entire world and from there, the Lord scattered them across the face of the earth. Now, why is God so concerned? Uh, you'll read some people that have commentaries, and they will go, why was God afraid? It's almost like God was afraid that he was going to lose his power, or these people were going to take over. Uh, there's some theories on the tower of what it means that they were building it into the heavens. Uh, some believe that it was because they were going to make themselves God. Uh, some believe that they were going to climb up into the tower uh, and get into heaven and we're going to throw God off his throne. Now, the problem is that really none of that really shows up in this passage. Uh, if the writer of, of Genesis, most of us believe it was Moses, if Moses had wanted to make the point, uh, he could have made the point that they were trying to overthrow God, but instead it was just a tall tower. It reached the heavens because it was so big. Uh, and this comes, this then brings another sense of, of humor uh, to this passage, because it's like they were building this tower that was so tall, you know, it, you know, Sears Tower, 110 uh, stories. I think your tallest tower uh, now is uh, 70, 80. I forget what it is now. Stories high. They're they're getting bigger. Everyone's building these big towers, and we think they're so tall. But God is sitting in heaven, and He can't even see the tower. And so he has to go down to see the tower. So on earth, they're going, oh, this is so incredible. Look how high this is. It's going into the heavens. And the writer pictures God in the heavens going, wait, I think something's going on down there. We need to see what's going on because we can't see it from here. 
so it's, it's an interesting interplay. So God goes down, and he looks and sees what's going on, and he says, oh, this isn't good. If already, with a common language, they are disobeying me so quickly after the judgment, uh, they're not going to last very long. Uh, and so the, the reaction of God becomes very interesting, uh, that rather than punishing them somehow, he confuses their language. And he doesn't do it as a punishment necessarily, uh, but he really does it as a, as a preventive measure. Uh, that if, if they stay together, uh, they may do some good things together uh, with a common language and, and common vocabulary. Uh, but if they're doing evil already, how much, how much worse can they get? And they could get very bad very quickly, uh, as the earlier part of Genesis shows. And so he says, so let's confuse the language. Uh, let's make it so that they don't understand each other. And I told them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. So let's do this and so that they'll scatter and fill the earth. Uh, and, and so the irony is, is that the, uh, the, the people of Shinar wanted so much to stay in one place and feared being scattered so much uh, that when, when God uh, says, you need to go, and now he's going to make them go by confusing their languages, uh, by creating new languages, by giving them a, a, a feel that we no longer understand each other, maybe no longer trust each other, and so God's will stum, still comes true. They do scatter, and they fill the earth. So it's, it's an interesting uh, dynamic that we see going. The fears of people that if we do this, if we scatter, things are going to be really bad. And God says, no, you need to trust me that if you follow me, things will be good, but my will is going to happen regardless of whether you cooperate or not. Uh, and if you cooperate, then there's going to be a lot of blessing. Uh, if not, my will is still going to become true, uh, and I'm going to see that it happens. Now, it's interesting that the city is not destroyed. Uh, if the tower was by itself was evil, I think God would have destroyed the tower, but he doesn't. Uh, the tower remains. Now, as that area develops over time in Mesopotamia, they do build huge towers. They call them ziggurats, and they become centers for worship. And they, they see the gods as coming down, and they entertain the gods. And so later uh, in history, that happens there. Uh, but that's not the case here, or God would just wipe out the city. And God wasn't against cities. I've, I've read some commentators that will go, oh, this God hates cities. He you know, likes the countryside. He likes the bukid. Uh, and, and we need to get them out of the city because cities are bad or evil. Uh, but in this case, the city stays. He doesn't destroy the city. So he wasn't against the city. He was against everybody staying in that city. Uh, he wanted them to, to scatter, and he wanted them to move. Now, it's interesting that as Scripture goes through, we see this happening again in a little smaller scale. Uh, in Acts, um, after, after Pentecost, you have 3,000, 5,000 trust Christ. They're growing. They're loving each other. Uh, they're hearing about the Bible. They're growing in their relationship with God. They're praying. They're sharing uh, all their goods with each other who are in need. Uh, they're seeing a lot of people come to, to Christ, uh, and yet God's command was to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, 
and you know, to, uh, to baptize them and uh, to teach them to obey all things. In Acts 1.8, he says, so when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. But they were in Jerusalem, and they were staying in Jerusalem. And, and there's reasons. They were new, they were growing, they were learning. But so what does God do? He brings persecution, and all of a sudden they have to scatter to get to the ends of the world. Uh, and so God does this again, and I think God does this in our lives sometimes. So that's the story, I, I, I think, of, the, of, of what happens in Babel. So what are some lessons that we can uh, learn from this? I, I want to suggest three lessons. First of all, if, if you know what God wants you to do, then do it. Uh, it's much easier. Uh, when we were coming to the, uh, the Philippines, uh, we've been at uh, our home church. I was a youth pastor there for eight and a half years, and then uh, we created a ministry in our district, and I became a youth pastor, a pastor of youth pastors and youth leaders, and did some coaching and mentoring uh, in our denominational district, and nationally, I did some with that. But we stayed at this church. Uh, my wife, Debbie, was the office manager in the, the church for a while, and so we've been at that church probably about 25, 26 years now as it, as it works out. So the people know me pretty well, and, and when we uh, decided to, to then come to the Philippines, they've really heavily supported us. About 60% of our support comes out of this one church, either by the church or individuals of the, of, of the church. Uh, and, and so they're pretty open with me. And there's a 16-year-old uh, high school student uh, that came up to me, and he goes, Bob, Bob, how, how could you do this? Uh, and, and I go, what do you mean? And I could understand that he wasn't, you know, challenging that what I was doing was wrong. I says, what? He says, I'd like to give up everything, to give up living here and go to a, a foreign country, go somewhere new. Uh, and, and so I talked to him a little bit, and I said, I, John, basically what it comes down to is I've been a Christian long enough that if God wants me to do something, it's going to happen. <laughs> and so I can either cooperate quickly or I can fight him, but we'll still get to the same place. And so it just seems easier to go, okay, I give up, we'll go. You know, if this is where you want us, we'll go. And I, and I think that becomes what, what our attitude should be in our life, that if we know what God wants us to do, then we should do it. Because there's, there's blessing in that. Uh, and there's a lot of peace of, of mind, and there's a lot less struggles if we just do it. Uh, the second lesson is this, is that our focus really should be on making God famous. Uh, you did this in the, the, the worship songs and talking about the greatness of our God and the characteristics of our God, and this should be part of our life. Instead, most of the time, many times anyway, uh, we try and make ourselves famous. Uh, we we want to build our financial empires. We, we want uh, to, to, to be known in the neighborhood as, as somebody that's important. We want significance. Uh, we want to be people of value. We want to be people that know our name and will remember our name. Uh, and so we kind of set up our life to, to become famous, to be known, uh, to make a name for ourselves. Uh, we even use that phrase in English, to make a name for ourselves. You need to make a name for yourself. Uh, and in reality, we need to be making a name for God. Uh, we need to be living a life that brings glory to God. Uh, we need to be talking about what God is doing in our life and how God has helped us in our business and we've been able to succeed in our business because of the goodness and the graciousness of God. Uh, we, we need to be friends to our, to our neighbors and we need to help our neighbors uh, because of the goodness and the graciousness and the mercy and the blessing of God. Uh, 
and so we need to be looking at making God famous, not ourselves. Uh, the third lesson, I think, is that God's heart is for the world. Um, God's heart is for the whole world. It always has been. Now, in, uh, I don't know how soon you will get to it, but in chapter 12, uh, God starts working through an individual, Abraham. Uh, and Abraham kind of becomes the opposite of the people of Shinar. Uh, because the people of Shinar say, we're going to stay. You know, God, you've got a bad idea. Uh, God, you're not as wise as you think you are. We know better, and so we're going to stay, and we're going to accomplish a lot. And with Abraham, God says, I, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything that's comfortable, and I want you to go to a place that you don't, you don't know, and you won't know. You just need to go, and he goes. And so chapter 12 becomes kind of the opposite of 11, and I think that's one reason why the writer kind of puts them so close together. So God's focus is the world. He will see that the world is reached, uh, and that's a, a part of what we need to be a part of ourselves, is that what are ways that we can reach out beyond our borders, beyond the city, behind, or beyond this country, uh, into the, the uttermost part of the world, up into the ends of, of the earth. It needs to be a part of what we're about. Uh, so let me close with two applications, I think, to our life. One is kind of our battle. Uh, our battle is always comfort versus discomfort. My brother, uh, when he heard we were going to go to the Philippines, he looked, he's going, the Philippines? He says, are, are you crazy? And, and now my brother's a Christian, and we're friends. Uh, and, and he goes, I, I go, Tim, why? And he goes, Bob, they, active volcanoes, earthquakes. <laughs> you know, there's mosquitoes that can kill you in many different ways. Um, the, and at the time, Cebu had had a ferry boat accident, and several hundred people had died. And he says, please, stay off the ferry boats. Uh, and, and he just listed this number of things, and he goes, why? And I go, well, you know, the people are really nice. You know, it's not going to be a, a comfortable thing. Uh, we're not going to have air conditioning in every place. Uh, but I like to tell people now, people, people will come to me, and they'll go, oh, uh, especially when we go back to the, well, even here in, in, in Cebu, they'll go, oh, thank you so much for giving up so much. Uh, and, and I go, do you know where we live? You know, we walk to our college, and in between, there's a Starbucks. I mean, we're not in plowing up in the jungle somewhere. You know, we're in a three million person, you know, city with all kinds of stuff. I go, you know, we've sacrificed air conditioning throughout our house, but, you know, it's not the sacrifices aren't that great. Now, my brother, bless his heart, he did come over and visit us, and at the end of about 10 days with us, he got to know our students, and uh, one of the last things he said, he says, you know, I could never do this, uh, and I think you're a little crazy doing this, but he's always thought I was a little crazy, so that's nothing new, uh, and he says, but I understand, so I understand it's about the people, and I said, yeah, you're right. And, and so sometimes we, we focus so much on how much we feel, on the comfort that we want, on how convenient life is for us, uh, and God's not as interested in that uh, as we are. Uh, God wants us to obey, and God wants us to go, uh, and God wants us to be discomfortable sometimes, or uncomfortable some, sometimes. Uh, and so we need to fight that battle. It's, it's, it's good to feel at, at ease. It's good to feel good about things. Uh, it's good to have peace, uh, but sometimes we get too peaceful and we really don't do the things that we know God wants us to do. Um, 
And then finally, it's our command. I, I, I know from, uh, from talking to your staff and former staff that your heartbeat is to make disciples who make disciples. Your heartbeat is to, to be a part of the, of the great commission of God. Uh, and that great commission is to go. And the, it's to make disciples of the whole world. Now, many times I'll joke in the U.S. that somehow we've got the make disciples good. We don't do a good job of making disciples, but we've kind of forgotten the whole earth part. Uh, we want to do it in the United States. We don't really want to leave. Uh, but we've got this call to go to wherever God has sent the people. And what we learned from the Babel experience is that God wants to scatter people throughout the earth, and therefore he needs us to go where they are. We need to learn languages. We need to learn dialects. We need to reach out to the people so that they can come to Christ. And this needs to be our passion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for this passage. I, I thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament about what our, uh, our life shouldn't be like. Uh, Father, help us to be obedient to you. Help us not to be disobedient. Help us to be humble and not prideful. Uh, help us to make a name for you, to show how great and how wonderful and how glorious you are, uh, rather than focus on how good we are and how much we want people to like us or think good of us. And Father, help us to, as we reach other people outside of our country, uh, outside of our ethnic groups, outside of, of the people that we know, help us to reach those too, but help us go to all the nations that you have scattered people to. We thank you uh, for the strength you give us. We thank you for the blessings that you give as we obey. Uh, and we just pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Truly, it is important for us to remember that our lives are made to worship God, to have God reign in us to make his name known so sing this song with us as a prayer to ask god to reign in us so though so that the world may know that he truly reigns in us let's sing this together 